0: We want to extend today a very special welcome to our viewers on over 350 stations across North America. And at this stage we want to send a very warm special loving greeting to our partners in ministry and in the preaching of the everlasting gospel, Danny and Linda Shelton and our great friends at Three Angels Broadcasting Network. And of course we want to give a very special welcome today to our dear friends here at the Community Adventist Fellowship. And when you're in Southern California, we invite you to join us for worship on Saturday mornings at 1045. Our address is 333 East Colorado Street, Glendale, California. Come join us. We'd like to make you very, very welcome. Today we're going to continue our series on the great book of Genesis. Today it's Genesis 8 and 9, and I thought of a topic for this sermon. It's going to be after the flood. Last time we spoke about the flood today, it's after the flood. We're going to answer a number of important questions today that you'll find interesting. Firstly, has the ark been found? There have been lots of stories of people who've said the ark has been found. We will answer that question. Secondly, how much of the Bible can we believe? Can we really believe these stories such as the story of Noah and the great flood? Is there absolute proof for the Bible its historicity philosophically we will answer the question is there absolute proof for anything we'll talk about that in a moment is human life is another question is human life the same as animal life these verses that we're going to study today talk about human life And also they talk about animal life. Are they on the same equality as some people would have us believe? And then there is quite a question. We're going to answer this question. Does an ancient prophecy determine my fate because I was born into a certain race? There are sometimes occasions when you are giving sermons like a sermon today and you're working through the Bible that you wish that those verses were not there because of the implications. (laughs) But today we're going to talk about the origin of the human race, Shem, Ham and Japheth. A disconcerting prophecy was made about those races some people tell me if I was born into a certain race I am born under a curse. Some would say the curse of slavery. Have I got your attention? In Los Angeles? (laughs) We will answer that today. I want you now please because this is a Bible study, as all my sermons are. Would you please come to Genesis chapter 8 and verse 1. Here we start. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And he sent a wind over the earth, and the waters receded. Please would you notice with me the first words here. What are these words, the first two words? Say them with me. But God. I want you to notice the preceding verse to give us the context. Chapter 7, verse 24. The waters flooded the earth for a hundred and fifty days. What? Do you think it was like in a boat with lots of animals and no seasickness tablets (laughs) for this long period of time? Here we have on record the greatest disaster and catastrophe that ever happened in the history of the human race. A flood that wiped out possibly tens of millions of people, changed the old world. And so in chapter 7 you have this graphic picture of an unparalleled disaster. And then after this unparalleled disaster you have two words about God. I thank God for those two words. God is trying to tell us something here. He is saying, whatever the disaster, never forget, but God. Have you ever heard somebody say, this happened to me, I went to the doctor today, and he is diagnosed that I have terminal cancer. I would say to that person, the news is bad, but God. But God. Another person says, my home is falling apart. I'm going through a divorce. I know that God does not want it. I feel guilty. My heart is torn in a million pieces. I say to such a person, but God. But God. Another person says, I've had a financial disaster. I thought everything was secure, but my company that was in charge of my retirement funds has gone belly up. It has gone broke, and I don't know what to do. I say to that person, even though there is a flood of overwhelming proportions in your life, but God, never take God out of the equation because when God is in our lives we can endure whatever the devil may throw at us nothing is impossible even though the business seems to be on the rocks the promise is things are bad but God And when God is there, nothing is uncertain and nothing is impossible. So I want you all who are going through a flood and your lives seem to be in a turmoil and you've been cooped up in the ark. (laughs) But God, please read on. But God remembered. Oh, that is sufficient but God remembered. Then the next word is, God remembered Noah. When things are the worst, but God remembered. God does not forget us. Last week, my computer was on overload because I had a lot of things on my mind when we had that great rally. I have the responsibility of the television, though I am as the executive producer in charge of it all, I don't have the immediate responsibility. I have men there like David and Rick who do a a fantastic job, but all of this is going through my mind. And I did not have time to go to the fellowship luncheon, but I had to go over there because I was looking for my friends the Heritage Singers, we wondered where they were. We had a little flood last week. (laughs) But it was a great blessing, we had a wonderful time and the biggest audience we've ever had in this church. And when I was over there in the dining room, in the Heritage Room, a gentleman called out to me, he said, Pastor Carter, may I see you for a moment? I said, yes, sure, walk with me because I, I had things I had to do and I wasn't in the socializing mode. And so I said walk with me and he walked with me and uh, he was talking to me and I was looking at him and listening to him. I said now I've got to go across the street, let's walk across the street. He was talking on. He said Christian Heritage, the Adventist Heritage magazine wants to write a series of articles about you." Oh, I said, oh yeah, sure. Hmm." What's this? What's it all about? Well, he said, it's an official publication. Then he started talking about Loma Linda. And and I said, oh yes, okay, I was going across the street. This conversation had gone on for about 10 minutes. And then he talked about Reg Brown. He said, you know, he's written a book and they've devoted a chapter to you in this book. Have you read it? I said, thankfully, no. He said, it's very good. And he was talking on. I was looking in his face. And then I said, oh. It's you, Arthur. Arthur Patrick. He said, yes. We are friends for 30 years. I went to college with him. He's a professor at La Sierra. That's why I gave him a a notable welcome. That was a penance I was doing. I was talking to him. He was the last person I'd expect to see here in this part of the world. I said, Arthur, I'm covered with shame and infamy. I wasn't thinking that I would see you. I was only looking into his face for 10 minutes and I didn't recognize this man who was one of my best friends. But God remembered. God's mind is never on overload. Now I have a problem sometimes, I'm always thinking of things that have to be done. Our ministry has grown and grown, and it's almost outgrown us. We don't have enough staff. I'm the only pastor here now in this church. The rest are away. And I'm thinking of the newspaper that has to be done, and the photographs, and we've got to do something with the radio programs because we don't haven't had time to make any new programs, and I'm thinking of the television programs and the fact that we've got to buy new equipment, and uh, I'm thinking of the fact that we've got to raise this money for St. Petersburg, and my mind is often on overload, and if you pass me down the street, and if I don't acknowledge you, it's because I haven't seen you, and if I've seen you, I haven't recognized you. (laughs) Now Janine came to work the other day and I said good morning Janelle. (laughs) But the Bible says but God remembered Noah. Even when you forget your best friends because there is so much going on among the disorganized molecules of your mind even though you forget God never forgets who you are. and what you're going through. Remember this. You are a child of God and God never forgets the members of his family. So I send to my friend Arthur Patrick today my apologies and my greetings and anything else that I need to do to make penance or to do penance. But God remembered. Now verses 8 1 to 3, chapter 8 verses 1 to 3, but God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And he sent a wind over the earth, and the waters receded. Now the springs of the deep and the floodgates of the heavens had been closed, and the rain had stopped falling from the sky. The water receded steadily from the earth. At the end of the hundred and fifty days, the water had gone down. The Bible indicates there was a period of five months or 150 days from the beginning of the flood until the boat came and rested on Mount Ararat. The Bible talks about a tremendous wind such as this world has never seen and it speaks about the receding waters. I want you to think of the oceans of water that must have rushed to the sea. People say it must have taken billions of years for the Grand Canyon to be formed. My friend, it didn't take billions of years. It took just days. It took weeks. It took months. And then during this tremendous time when the wind was howling and the waters were rushing to the oceans, then you had the laying down of the sedimentary strata. The sedimentary stratas containing millions and billions of fossils. I want to say today if you haven't heard my talk on Darwin versus Genesis you ought to get it because we discuss these things. We give scientific evidence. This catastrophe was beyond our imaginations and the results were Tremendous changes in the topography of the earth. Now notice Genesis 8 and verse 4, my dearly beloved friends. And on the 17th day of the seventh month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. Verse 5. The waters continued to recede until the tenth month. And on the first day of the tenth month, the tops of the mountains became visible. Let me talk a little bit about this. Uh, Here we have a reference not to the mountain of Ararat, but to the mountains of Ararat. Now when some good meaning folks have gone to Mount Ararat looking for the ark, they may have even gone to the wrong mountain. Because Mount Ararat is a chain of mountains. Let me say a word about this chain, C-H-A-I-N, this chain of mountains. One of my countrymen over here in the United States of America was being interviewed right here in Los Angeles, and the interviewer said to him, What have you been doing here? Do you like America? Of course, he said. What have you seen in America? Oh, he said, my Australian brother, he said, we've just flown over the China mountains. The China mountains. The American interviewer said, you've been to China? No, he said, I've never been out of California. But we've just flown over the... China mountains. You get it? The chain. Australians have the capacity to do havoc with their A's and their I's. And they confuse them. As I've tried to tell you before, what is the difference between an American bison and an Australian bison? An American bison is an animal, like a big cow, but an Australian bison is a dish that an Australian bushman washes his face in. He says to his wife in the morning in the outback, where is the bison so I can wash my face? Ah, now we have at last communication in our church. Ararat is a chain you notice how nicely I say it? it is a chain of mountains the rain in Spain falls mainly on the plain <laughs> or as my friends say the rain in Spain falls mainly on the plain and good day but the rain in Spain And this was a chain of mountains. You may wonder what I had for breakfast today. It was only muesli. That's granola. Lord help us as we work here with these American people. It was a chain. And the exact location where the ark came down we do not know. But it came down upon this chain of mountains that covers hundreds of square kilometers or miles. Has the Ark been found? Expeditions to look for the Ark have been less than successful. The claims that the Ark of Noah has been found are entirely inaccurate. It is like the man who wrote, reports of my death are greatly exaggerated. You got it, Dan. You're doing well today, aren't you? (laughs) The claims that the Ark of Noah has been found are greatly exaggerated, like Mark Twain's death on that occasion. I have studied this and I know a little bit about this. I have spoken to the people who've gone up there looking for Noah's Ark. Some have brought back pieces of wood, but they have tested the wood. The wood is not as old as it ought to be, but it's basically only a thousand years old. There have been, and remember this, let me say to my beloved American friends in this country, More than any other country in the world there are people who are trying to rip you off. And many, many books are written by religious people not because they are presenting the truth but because there are lots of dear, sweet, believing, wonderful, gullible souls. And The stories about Noah's ark are a little bit like this. There have been reports of sightings. And I don't discount the validity of some of these reports. I have seen people interviewed, very old people from the land of Russia and Armenia, who remember they were interviewed 20 years ago and they told how the Russian army was carrying out work in this area and some of the soldiers, all the soldiers gazed up on the the top of this great mountain where there was a glacier and they saw what appeared to be a wooden structure poking out of the ice and the snow. Who knows? We cannot be dogmatic, but we have not found Noah's ark. I wish we had. Neither have we found the ark of the covenant. Is it possible that the ark may may one day be found, the ark of Noah? It is possible. It was a huge boat. It's 550 feet long, a massive wooden structure. It is quite possible that it is lying up there entombed in ice and snow. But time will tell. Here's a little aside. Must I wait until it is found until I believe this story? Now some people say, show me or else I won't believe it. I'm going to give you a little philosophy that I hope doesn't confuse too many of you and which will not result in a deluge of letters telling me that I've fallen away from the truth. Like the dear brother whom I love wrote to me the letter chastising me for teaching evolution in that church service which was against evolution. Listen very carefully to this. People say, I will not believe anything until I have Absolute proof. If you wait until you have absolute proof before you will believe, you won't believe anything. Absolute proof only exists in God. The best we can have is evidence, the weight of evidence. Now let me talk a little philosophically as they would talk in a university so don't misunderstand this but if you understand this it's going to help you. When people say I must have absolute proof you don't have absolute proof that you're sitting here in church. You say but I am sitting here in church how do you know? You're relying upon your eyes. Do your eyes ever deceive you? Of course they do. Do your ears ever deceive you? Does your brain ever deceive you? You're trusting in an apparatus which is very fallible. Therefore, you cannot have absolute proof, which is based on an on an apparatus which is very very imperfect. Absolute proof. Does not exist except in the mind of God. People who say, I will not believe in God until I have absolute proof, will never believe in God. Faith does not rest upon absolute proof, it rests upon evidence. It rests upon the weight of evidence. Why do I believe in God? Because I've seen him? No. Because I've heard his voice? No. No, none of those things. But because my faith is built upon a mountain of evidence that he in his graciousness has revealed. When I study the Bible, I have an amazing source of evidence why I should believe. I've made a study of this for years. I've studied archaeology for years. I specialize in biblical archaeology. When I go to St. Petersburg, I'm going to start with evidences for God. I won't say proofs for God. I'll say evidences for God. And God in the Bible has put a ton of evidence so that a reasonable thinking, honest person will have sufficient grounds upon which to build his faith now this book that you're holding in your hands the bible is a book that i believe is absolutely authentic i would stake my life upon that book i believe it is historically reliable i have got so much evidence that i could share with you from archaeology And whether the ark has been found or not or will never be found makes no difference to me because I have a ton of evidence to believe that this book is absolutely truthful. Therefore, I build my faith upon the evidence that God and his grace has supplied and that is why I believe in Noah and the flood. And of course, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, also Believed in Noah and Jesus, the Son of God, also believed in the flood. Would you notice now verses, uh, let's see, verses 5 and onwards, if you don't mind, of Genesis chapter 8? The waters continued to recede until the tenth month, and on the first day of the tenth month, the tops of the mountains became visible. There must have been, my friend, a lot of water for this water to take so long to go down, must have been. A lot of water. After 40 days Noah opened the window he had made in the ark and sent out a raven. And it kept flying back and forth until the waters had dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove to see if the water had receded from the surface of the ground. But the dove could find no place to set its feet because there was water over all the surface of the earth. So it returned to Noah in the ark. He reached out his hand and took the dove and brought her back to himself in the ark. My friend, he must have been terribly anxious to get out of that place. (laughs) Verse 10. He waited seven more days. This indicates that there was a week back there. Hear that? There was a week. He waited seven more days and again sent out the dove from the ark. When the dove returned to him in the evening, there in his beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. Then Noah knew that the water had receded from the earth." Now before you go any further, the Hebrew language in which the Old Testament is written says that this leaf that was plucked by the bird was not a leaf that was just floating on the surface of the water. It was plucked off a tree. Now this is a tree apparently that had survived and had already got its roots down. And so the bird came back and said, Things are definitely looking up Noah. Verse 12. He waited seven more days and sent the dove out again, but this time it did not return to him. By the first day of the first month of Noah's 601st year, the water had dried up from the earth. Noah then removed the covering from the ark and saw that the surface of the ground was dry. By the 27th day of the second month, the earth was completely dry. Do you know how long he was in that ark? He was there for one year and 17 days. We are on the Trans-Siberian Express for eight days. It seemed an eternity. We were not there with wild animals, I believe. (laughs) We were there with sweet people. We were there with people who were sweet and kind and easy to get along with. But Noah was there with his family and hippos and rhinos and elephants and donkeys and monkeys for one year, 17 days. I would suggest God is in the business of teaching us patience. Don't you think? He said, how long do I have to put up with this, Lord? The Lord said, put the bird out again. (laughs) Sometimes we pray to God, I do. Lord, how long do I have to put up with this for? God says, put the bird out again. When the bird comes back, the bird's just been flying around and there's no message from the bird. God is in the business of teaching us patience and we Christians are in the business of of learning patience by the grace of God. The ark, listen to these points, the ark was a refuge in a time of peril, number one. Number two, it was a home for the homeless. Number three, it was a temple for worship. It was a refuge that carried them safely from the old world to the new world. I want every person listening today on television and here in this church to know, that God has got an ark today. God has got an ark which is a refuge in the time of peril. He's got an ark that's a home for the homeless. He's got an ark that's a temple of worship and if you stay in that ark it's going to carry you safely from this old world to a new and better world and that ark is the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're not in that ark today, my friend, it's time that you got into that ark. It's time that you got into the refuge. Do we live in a time of peril today? I was home yesterday morning, wanted to see what was happening in the world, if anything turned on the news, and heard about this gun battle going on in North Hollywood. What violence. You don't know when you're going to be killed. You can be driving down one of the streets of Los Angeles, this concrete jungle, this place that is ripe for the judgments of God, and you can be killed. But I want to tell you folks something, that if you're in Christ, you don't have to worry, because He's our refuge. He's a home for the homeless. you got nowhere to go. Go to Christ you got nowhere to worship, worship in Christ. And just as that ark carried those people through the storm, our Christ is going to carry us through the storm of life. And he's going to take us home to the glory land. Can you say amen? Amen. amen. I want to say today, if you're not in Christ, my friend, you're not going to survive. You're not going to stand up in the storm. But Jesus is our refuge. I want you to come to Christ today. Would you notice verses 15 to 19 of Genesis chapter 8. Dear hearts, gentle people. Then God said to Noah, come out of the ark you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Noah said, I'm coming. (laughs) I don't need a second invitation. Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you the birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground so they can multiply in the earth and be fruitful and increase in number upon it. So Noah came out together with his sons and his wife and his sons' wives, all the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds, everything that moves on the earth came out of the ark, one kind after another. How good it must have been cooped up there for a year and 17 days with the hippos and all the animals and God says come out and he comes out upon a new world how good it must have felt how good it's going to be my friend when we get to heaven. How good it's going to be when the flood is over and the fighting is over and and the sin is all over. And we come out of the ark of safety and we find that we're breathing new air. It's God's air. And we find that we're working, walking on a new surface. It's the new earth. How good it's going to be. And then you notice his first act. Verse 20, dear folks. Genesis 8. Verse 20, then Noah built an altar to the Lord. And taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. Read on. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, never again will I curse the earth because of man. Even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. Let me comment on these words. The first thing that Noah did as the head of the household. I want to make that plain. Noah was the head of the household. The man is called to be the priest of his household. Do you know why we have so much women's liberation? I will tell you the main reason, I think. It's because men have failed to be men. Amen. Men have failed to be the priests of the home and women have been forced to take the position of leadership shame on us men what's wrong don't we have enough hormonal material (laughs) what's wrong the first thing that Noah did he said get the family together he set up an altar The first thing that you should do, Father, is set up an altar. Father, if you're not having worship with your children and your wife, you are not being a real leader. You're not being a real man. Now, I don't believe in this heresy that says that the man is a big boss and the wife has to do everything he says. And he's like a little god. That's a pagan concept. But the other concept is almost as bad. And that is where the man gives up the responsibility that God has given to him. I say to the men in this church. And the men who are watching this program. Be a man and be the priest of your home. Amen. And I see ladies agreeing with me. You know why? Women are looking for real men. They're sick to death of the wimps. They're looking for real men. Be a man. Amen. <laughs> now, let me tell you something else. It says they offered to God the very best. We ought to give to God the very best. Amen. And the Bible says he offered clean animals. Some people say, well, the distinction between clean and unclean animals was not made until the time of Moses. That is not so. The people knew about clean and unclean animals even back here and then God gives a promise he says I'm never going to destroy the earth again but he's talking my friend about water because when you get to 2 Peter 3 and we're not going to read it now but you can read it in your own home the Bible says there was a tremendous flood and Peter says there's coming another flood but it's going to be a flood of fire And the Bible says in the last days there are going to be scoffers and they're going to laugh at the Bible. But the Bible says there was a flood back there, there was a Noah, there was an ark. And the Bible says there is a day of judgment coming and there is going to be a flood of fire. And the Bible says then there is going to be a new world. Now I want you to come now to the next chapter dear hearts and gentle people. I want you to come with me to the next chapter. That's Genesis chapter 9. And I want you please to notice it in the Bible. Then God blessed Noah and his son, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall upon all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air, upon every creature that moves along the ground, And upon all the fish of the sea, they are given into your hands. Before this occasion, the animals did not have the fear in their hearts that they have today. God put it there for the preservation of man and also the animals. Verse 3, everything that lives and moves will be food for you. Just as I've given you the green plants, I now give you everything. God now gives permission to eat flesh. And some people take the text where it says, I give you everything as meaning cockroaches, (laughs) and worms, and frogs, and snails, you can eat anything you like. But you've got to take it in the context where God has just been talking about clean and unclean foods. Now, verse 4 and onwards. But you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. And as for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal and from... Each man too I will demand an accounting for the life of his fellow man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made man. Therefore God gives to the state the power to take life. Some people say the state never has the power to execute. That's murder. No, that's not Murder. God gave to the temporal powers that be certain privileges and responsibilities to maintain law and order. But I want you to notice something. This is very important. God said, the blood of man is above the blood of the animals. God said, man is not like an animal because God says in the image of God I made man. Now we've got a little dear French poodle whose name is Kelly. People think he must be a female because they say here in this country Kelly is a female's name. But in Australia there was an Irishman whose name was Ned Kelly and he was a real man. (laughs) And our little dog is named after the Australian Bush Ranger. It's just our little way of Getting back at some things. <laughs> but Kelly is not made in the image of God. Kelly is a dog. People say all life is the same. We ought to treat the animals the same as we treat human beings. You've heard this. This is not the teaching of the Bible. This text here gives the reason why homicide is always wrong and suicide is wrong because every person here is precious every human being is made in the image of almighty God please read on as for you be fruitful and increase in number multiply in the earth and increase upon it then God said to Noah and to his sons with him I will establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I established my covenant with you. Never again will all life be cut off by the waters of a flood. Never again will be a, there be a flood to destroy the earth. So God says, no, there's never going to be a universal flood again. Of water, that is. Verse 12. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all, all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every living kind in the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on the earth. I want to tell you something amazing. We were traveling just a few weeks ago in Siberia. We were going through the worst area of Siberia where they had, st- where they had the terrible death camps. And where they still have labor camps. And you think there of the suffering. And we looked out the window on the left hand side. And there was a double rainbow over Siberia. God's sign to people that he never forgets and he always keeps his word. Now the origin of the races. Please notice it. The origin of the races. Verse 18. The sons of Noah who came out of the ark with Shem, Ham and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan, these were the three sons of Noah, and from them came the people who were scattered over all the earth. I was at the DMV last Monday, and the lady said to me, she's a sweet lady, she said, are you related to Jimmy Carter? I said, yes, I am, I am. Oh, she said, it's wonderful to meet you. I said, I'm also related to uh, Gerald Ford, and, uh, and... Mr. Reagan and Billy Clinton. She said, you are? And I said, I'm even related to you. Back through Adam and then further through him, Ham Japheth and Shem. Verse 19, these were the three sons of Noah and from them came the people who were scattered over the earth. Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of its wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered inside his tent. Ham the father of Canaan saw his father's nakedness and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it across their shoulders. Then they walked in backward and covered their father's nakedness. Their face, faces were turned the other way so they would not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from the, his wine and found out what his youngest son had done to him he said cursed and so forth. What does this tell you? It tells you there is no one perfect. Noah was a prophet. Noah was a child of God. But Noah was a frail, stumbling mortal. I thank God for the doctrine of mercy, don't you? I meet people who say, well I've attained to perfection. I'm a sinless person as you study the Bible you'll find that there are no sinless people not even Noah he found grace in the eyes of the Lord he needed grace because he was a sinner there is one sinless person Jesus Christ our Lord he's our savior these verses tell us the curse of alcohol Oh, I know people come to me and they say a little bit, a little bit. That's right, a little bit can become a big bit. And people have done the worst crimes and the worst sins when they are intoxicated. I say to you watching today on television, don't touch it at all. It's the devil's poison. And so it appears in scripture that Canaan... This happened a long time after the flood, that Canaan, who was the son of Ham, was also involved in this disrespect. That's what it was. People say, I can say what I like, I can do what I like, I don't respect anybody. My friend, then don't expect that you're going to get to heaven. Because disrespect is a sin against God. Because every man and every woman is made in the image of God. We need to show respect. And after this great sin of Ham, a curse was placed upon Canaan. Verse 25, cursed be Canaan. The lowest of slaves will he be to his brothers. He also said, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. May Canaan be the slave of Shem. May God extend the territory of Japheth. May Japheth live in the tents of Shem. And may Canaan be his slave. Now, what do we say about this? Let me tell you some things. This is very, very important. From Shem came the Semites, such as the Jewish people. From Ham came the Canaanites, uh, the Egyptian race, Mizraim, and other races as well. And from Japheth came the Europeans. It is interesting that the Old Testament is written in the language of the Semites, but the New Testament is written in the language of Greek, which is the language, of course, of the Europeans, one of the languages, and Japheth represents the Europeans this prophecy sadly came to pass does this mean that my fate is decided if I am born into a certain race this prophecy while plotting the course of history accurately does not determine individual destiny have you ever heard of Rahab? She was a Canaanite woman and she was a prostitute. But she became a spiritual Israelite. And in Hebrews 11, she is shown as a mighty champion of faith. She became a spiritual Israelite. Listen to these words. The Bible says, The children of the flesh are not the children of God. But the children of the promise shall be counted for the seed. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, slave or free. All are one in Christ Jesus. Would you like to know how you can escape the curse that was placed upon Ham and the descendants of Ham? You escape the curse by becoming a spiritual Israelite. Amen. And when you are a spiritual Israelite, in the eyes of God, you are then counted as a descendant of Shem. And so, even though today the blood of Japheth is in my veins, I am no longer a son of Japheth. I am a son of Shem. Because when I am in Christ, I am accounted as a spiritual Israelite. Wherever you come from. Whoever you are. And Genesis 9 verse 28 and 29 tells us, that Noah lived on for many many years and then he died. Noah was saved to die. You and I through Christ are saved to live. I ask you today to make sure that you are in the ark of safety, that you come to Christ today and get inside the ark because that ark is going to take us safely home to the kingdom of God.